Well, folks, you know you're in for a treat when you hear that tune because it's time for another week of the Rec Poker Podcast. I've got the best job in the world. That's why I'm the luckiest guy I know. I get to hang out here every week talking to my poker friends about poker strategy. Um, I've got it made. My name is Jim Reed. I'm Bluffsterini in the home games and Rec Poker Jim on Twitter. Um, I have to thank our sponsors, the amazing Mark Prashan over at Website Amp and everyone at Running Aces Hotel, Racetrack and Casino. Thank you so much for your support. Um, of course, it's not just our sponsors, but our premium members here at Rec Poker. If you don't know what Rec Poker is about, it's a largely volunteer-based organization. Most of what we do is free. You can come and get a free community account. All it takes is an email address and a smile. Uh, but if people who do want to kick it up a notch and get more involved in our learning and social activities, um, do that through the premium membership. It only costs $15 a month, and you can get your first month for only $5 if you use the code Rec Poker. One of the perks is you get to join our forums conversations like this. So I'm proud to have Eric Anderson, a prolific poster in our forums and an excellent premium member here at Rec Poker, uh, joining us in the conversation tonight. But the core of our team, the real backbone of what we do at Rec Poker here is the Wrecking Crew, those amazing individuals who put their time in every week, every month, uh, hosting our strategy uh, sessions. Uh, our study groups uh, joining me on the podcast, sharing their insights uh, throughout our different themes of the month. And if you want to find out more about the Wrecking Crew and the amazing folks on it, you can go to rec.poker slash crew. But you can also just listen up because you're going to meet a few of them uh, right now, starting with our newest Wrecking Crew member, the one and only Ben Enslow. <laughs> My name is uh, Ben Enslow, as Jim just said, um, the new, one of the new members of the uh, Wrecking Crew. Um, you can find me at BJM and 96 on Twitch. You can find the rest of my socials there. Easiest place to go. And I'm East Coast bitter in the uh, Poker Stars home game. And I'm glad to be here. I'm uh, Kim Kilroy. I am Fergie 56 in the home game. And I am pet that underscore 33 on Twitter and most other platforms. And I'm Rob Washam and I'm Rabman 50 just about everywhere. Well, thanks, everyone, for uh, joining me for this episode. This is the forums edition of the podcast. So just like we do uh, most Monday nights, some of us are playing against each other in the nightly home games. We do 10 of those home games a week that the great John Somsky puts together. And uh, while we're doing that and trying to steal each other's chips, we're going to take a post from the Rec.Poker forums and talk about it here on the air. Uh, this one, this week, we're looking at a post from Taylor Moss, who's another OG member of the Wrecking Crew. This is uh, in the Hand Histories Forum, and it's called Heads Up for a Tournament Win. How do we get all the chips? So I'll just uh, prep the, I'll just sort of lay a little scene here for our listeners at home. Um, but I do encourage our listeners, go get a free Rec Poker account and check out the forum post yourself. If you go to the show notes, you can see a link to this post. If you click on that, you can kind of see. It's not just um, Taylor. Uh, Chris Jones is in there responding. Eric Anderson has a response. Uh, I'm a Luigi uh, has a response. Louis Hillman, uh, who's a fun follow on Twitter as well. Another one of the great members here at Rec Poker. And uh, if you enjoy visual learning, I find uh, being able to sort of see it all laid out sometimes makes it easier to follow the action than just uh, listening on the audio podcast version. But so heads up for a tournament win. Taylor Moss is... Uh, he's done very well for himself, which is not to be a surprise. He's gotten heads up. Uh, and as he says, so ICM is out the window. It's all about getting the win. So we're 29 big blinds effective. We're on the button with king nine offsuit. And we make our standard open to two big blinds and get called. 
The flop comes king of spades, seven of hearts, four of hearts. They check, and we bet 1.6 big blinds into a pot of four, so a little less than half pot. Um, they raise us to four big blinds. Is there anything that you guys want to talk about at this point when it comes to Taylor's sizing choice or hand selection um, or anything like that? It's a king seven four two tone flop. We've got king nine offsuit. It all seems fairly standard. Um, Kim, you look like you've got something. You're muted at the moment. Um, yeah, just I, I'm wondering, do we have the chip lead here? I'm not entirely sure of that but yeah he we do he says the uh the effective stack is 29 but he does not say who covers who and i i agree that that is important because the person I who's think, yeah go ahead, i Rob. think that it says heads up for a tournament win how do we get all the chips in so we're going to assume that taylor is ahead okay, okay that's yeah because he's point. trying to get all the chips in to win the tournament good point okay, okay. and good. i think as kim's getting at it does make mm. a big difference who, who who's at risk yeah, Ben, sorry. Well, I think it still matters to know exactly how much he has because it's important to know if we lose how much we're mm. going to have left behind so that we know, you know, are we going to have five big blinds? Are we going to have 15? Are we going to have 20? Like what kind of a margin are we going to have if we lose an all in an all-in situation? Great point. Um, so yeah, Taylor, uh, maybe just include that information next time you're putting a post like yeah, this in. Taylor. Taylor. Taylor God, like, is he good for anything? <laughs> I swear. Um, in all seriousness, Taylor's been on a freaking heater. And if people don't know, we're just making fun of him because we're all impressed at how good at poker he is. Uh, Taylor is actually leading the player of the year race, not only for the no limit hold'em player of the year race at Rec Poker, but also the mixed game player of the year race. Right? Currently, he's in first place in both of those. Um, there's only one month to play. So um our regular listeners will know that we enjoy teasing Taylor Moss, but it comes from a place of love and respect. Uh, but yeah, Taylor, get your stuff together, man. When it comes to filling out these forum posts, good God, we don't even know who's covering who. Like, what is this, amateur hour? Um, and yeah, great point by Ben that it really does matter because if the effective stack is 29 big blinds, but the other player has like 85 behind, then it's not nearly as, you know, the stakes aren't as high as if one player has 29 big blinds and the other has 31 big blinds. Then that really does change the importance of of the hand. Yeah, But yeah, okay, so good comment there. So we bet 1.6 big blinds is a, a bit of a down bet and we get raised to four from uh, we get check raised to four. So Taylor says, I think we could make a, a case for raising ourselves, but this feels like a standard spot to just call. And that's what they do. Um, so let's get to the turn. Unless someone wants to weigh in there. I don't, I don't, I don't think we can fold and I don't think our hand is so strong that it's a mandatory raise. So I think calling does kind of feel natural here. We'd be calling with a lot of our weaker hands as well. So we can kind of um, try and induce some further aggression from this player uh, with a relatively strong bluff catcher ourselves, which I like. Uh, the turn is the nine of spades. So pretty good card for us. The board is now king of spades, seven of hearts, four of hearts, nine of spades. Uh, so we've got top two pair on a two-tone board. Um, there's a couple gut shot straights out there, um, but that and then there's the two uh, flush draws. I think we can probably discount the spade flush draw given the check raise on the flop, but uh, you never know. 
they bet into us six big blinds. And at this point, the pot would be 12. So it's half pot, which is an interesting sizing choice, given that they check raised the flop. Um, Check raising is kind of a polarizing action. And so I tend to expect a different bet size here um, on the turn when they're when they bet the turn into us here. Uh, So as Taylor says, I think this is the interesting spot. Now we beat all their two pairs and are in a great spot versus anything but a set. So how do we proceed to get the most value here? Raise all in, try to get called by their draws, but fold out their bluffs. Call, hope that they continue their aggression line on the river, and also hope that they don't hit whatever draw they might be on. And then if we call, what do we do if they jam on rivers when a heart or spade comes? And what do we do if they just check to us? Um, and then there's a bonus discussion uh, uh, that we'll get into a little later. But given that we are heads up, what is everyone thinking about this particular spot? We get bet into on the turn. We've got top two pair. We're feeling very good about our hand. Should we be raising or calling? Let's start with that. I assume no one's folding. Okay, no, good. Because no, he'd, no he'd never be welcome back on the show again. Yeah. I have a, <laughs> this would be bad for my first show. <laughs> a quick question on the pre-flop. Um, yeah. Do you guys do pre-flop ranges similar to like small blind versus big blind? Um, are you a lot looser than that when your head's up? I It, oh. it changes for me because you're going to be in position post-flop when your head's up. So my small blind continuing range is going to look very different heads up then it will three to nine handed um being able to be in position post flop means that i can limp with a lot more hands and uh, so i'm going to be extreme I'm, I'm playing almost every hand um so like a big blind range or even looser than that? no 90%, even looser yeah 90, 90 to 95 percent of hands you should yeah. be playing either as a call or a raise yeah okay. yeah because yeah. yeah, and the other clarify that yeah, the other yeah, thing is when there's there's more dead money in the pot when you're nine handed. When you get folded around to and you're in the small blind, you can't. You have there's more dead money that you have to account mm. for there. I think all oh, the antes and stuff. Yeah, yeah the yeah there's thing. yeah there's an ante in there. So there's more um, of an incentive for you to raise there too because there's more dead money for you to win. Yeah, that's so, a great point. And you're definitely going to be um, because when you're limping so I often. You just got to keep the guys. Should you just got to keep the other guys? You know. You just got to open, you know, just fire as you're just boxing and, you know, bobbing and weaving a little bit. I don't know. Yeah. Some of it's kind of villain dependent. I think like you're saying there, Ben, like players that are going to overfold, I'll probably raise the small blind more. I'll probably open raise more than against other players. Um, Players that are going to raise more um, or call more. I think limping the small blind is a better line in these heads up spots, but it makes a huge difference being able to play in position uh, post-flop for sure. Um, And again, I guess the last thing we'll say on that, Eric, is it, so it also changes the hands that you might open raise with, because since you're continuing with such a large range of hands and limping with a lot of them, that might change the line on which ones get limped and which ones get raised. But uh, uh, yeah, it it should be very, very, it should be almost all the hands you're playing in one, one capacity or another. So, so are we talking about the flop or are we talking about the turn here? 
whatever what are, i think you know, what are, the turn we're talking yeah, taylor, taylor says the turn is interesting <laughs> yeah yeah we're gonna find a few rabbit holes taylor's interested in the turn but i'm 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 open to a flop conversation if there's something there that caught well, you my what i wanted to say probably uh pertains to both because if we're heads up we've probably been playing with this person for a while mm, mm-hmm. so we sort of know what type of a player they are to some extent or we should and this should sort of give us an idea of if we can get more chips in on the turn. Mm-hmm. And even if we can get more chips in on the flop. Mm-hmm. So are they sticky? Are they just stabbing as a bluff with their raise? Are mm-hmm. they going to fold a flush draw? Are they going to fold um, six, five, six uh, of offsuit? Are they, mm-hmm. what, like, what are they? Um, if we have an idea of what kind of opponent we're up against, it sort of gives us more of an idea of where to get the money in. But I would certainly be trying to put more money in, at least by the turn, if not on the flop. Yeah, that, oh, that's you, my take too. Yeah, Rob, go do ahead. you do you raise all in then, or could we um, do something kind of tricky like just do a min click back? Well, if it's they've only put in four six, they still have twenty three big blinds, so probably. Yep. I'm only going to raise to maybe 14 or 15 mm-hmm. big blinds and let them put their stack in if they want or feel. Mm-hmm. Right. But I'm never going to fold to an all in either on a bet. Right. But are you are you going to are you going to raise all in there at that point? I think I would prefer to raise all in than just say thir- 14 blinds because you're kind of giving them an opportunity to maybe fold a king that we want. To, to keep they never fold the king. Yeah, like, no, they're never folding the king. They're never folding the king. Or even a seven, maybe, or or uh, some kind of a draw, because we do have a double, you know, two, like, two do you flush really draws think, on the board. Do you really think they're raising um, us with a seven? Yeah, that's the question that mm-hmm. I have, is what what is their check-raising range on the flop? Um. And assuming it's a balanced range, then it's going to have some very strong made hands and some good draws, right? Um, and maybe some air balls, but we don't know. We don't know enough about this player. I think our hand is we've basically got one pair no kicker on the flop, which to me is in that middle part of our value range. And I, I don't like to as a rule in a vacuum, I don't like to re-raise with that because it kind of lets them fold the, the worst hands and only continue with the better ones. But That's good. heads it's up. Also, it, we don't have to, we also don't have to worry about uh, uh, having put too much money in if we have to get away from this on a scary yes. turn. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. There's lots of turns we don't want to see. That's true. So, I don't. I, I don't mind. I like the the flop play. I'm, I'm. I may even like the turn play. That's why I said, "What kind of player is this?" Yeah. Right. Yeah, and um, Taylor does go into this kind of. This is the decision point on the turn, which is, uh, if if we just call, are they going to continue their aggressive line on the river? It is trickier for us because. We don't know if they're the kind of player that's going to bluff their missed draws or if they're only going to put it in when the draw comes in. That inclines me to get money in on the turn because the busted draws, they're just not going to call you on the river. There's an argument that they might bluff into you, 
Um, but it's going to be hard to tell if they're bluffing into you with a busted draw or if they just had a set of fours the whole time um, or a set of sevens or something. And uh, I don't know. I feel like it's hard to get value from some of those draws unless we raise the turn here. I'm not sure if I prefer the shove or the smaller raise, to be honest with you. I think if we had a less strong, if we had, for instance, like the five, six of hearts, I kind of like the shove better because you maximize your fold equity and uh, you've got a lot of outs when you are called. Um, With king nine, I think we're still actually ahead of almost all of the hands in their range. So I I kind of like your tricky raise call theory here. If we if they make it four and we make it like eleven or twelve or something like that, maybe well, they, they bet it six. You mean oh, they bet six. Yeah, yeah sorry, sorry. Six. So yeah, so it would have to be like thirteen or uh, yeah, thirteen or fourteen, like, like you said. Thirteen, fourteen. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, he, that's interesting. he didn't say how big the stack is, but I'm from my math. I got like there's twenty three. Yeah. Big blinds, is that right? Yeah, it should be like 23 yeah. back. That's it's what's kind left. Kind of a big yep. shove. So if we call it a little big, big blinds, there's going to be a pot sized bed on the river, pretty much. Yep. Right? Yeah, that's a good point. So if we call, we're adding uh, 12 to 12. Yes, yeah, so there would be about a pot sized bet on the river, which is, you know, there's something nice and symmetrical about that. Um, so, yeah, so, so why are you are we committed to getting our money in? Yeah, that's where I was, of what happens. Yeah. That's what I was mm. just kind of thinking myself, Rob. Regardless of what happens on the river, are we committed to getting our money in? If we are, I'm then I then I I think we are. I, I definitely think we are. Yeah. I would be more inclined to call on the turn and hope that he bets into us. And then if he does at that moment in time, you just push them all in. And just cross your fingers if it's a heart. And, and oh, yeah. I mean, <laughs> yep. I mean, there's there definitely yeah. could be trouble, but I mean, you're you're are you committed to this? I mean, I'm I'm pretty sure we're committed mm. to this pot and we're gonna be going all in regardless of what happens on the turn. Or on the river, I'm sorry. On the river. But I mean so it, if, it looks like he's it looks like he's setting up the river shelf. Mm-hmm. here mm. with this bet sizing so mm-hmm. why not put make the draws pay now mm-hmm. rather than mm-hmm. being able to get away from it yeah well that's the thing are they going to get away from it if you jam now are you going to are you going to scare away your your prey no, i don't think so <laughs> no i don't think so either that's that's a key, that's a key question though because what you really want is you want if you shove here you want to get called by those other hands in the range that are not a set of fours or a set of sevens, because you are destroying that other part of their range. You are doing extremely well against those other hands in this range. Even if he's got like the five, six of hearts, he's got a lot of outs, but um, you're still doing really well. Is he checking? Right. Sometimes. Uh, Yeah. You got to kind of know your opponent. Some, some guys Mm -hmm. won't, you know, Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, most to me, people it seems will check like race six high, <laughs> hmm. right? Because it seems to yeah, me ben? like we've seen we've seen two two aggressive acts by this opponent. They've raised us on the flop, and then they're still putting more money in 
on mm-hmm. the turn are they really going to fold if we jam they've already raised us to four big blinds now they're putting in six i guess if we jam they can they can fold but if if they make it if we make it 14 or 16 they still might fold mm-hmm. but like kim said they're not going to fold a king so we're losing value there we could win the whole thing we could win the whole tournament right here right now if we just go all in and yep. we see another you know a king king queen or something like that and we can also can. check and wait for them to bluff the river and and yeah, then... so i guess it's that's that's the other factor there for sure i guess the one thing we haven't mentioned is that if we shove here and they fold that's still a pretty good outcome for us because we win a pretty big pot uh we definitely we 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 remove you know a little more than a third of their chips um we don't have 100% equity in this hand right now even with top two pair so if we can win 100% of the pot that's not a that's not a bad outcome but of course we want to win the tournament in this hand so we should this is what taylor's writing about specifically isn't it's specifically how can we get all the chips in on this hand and it it really sounds like it's i hate to say it but it sounds very villain dependent doesn't it gang um if we think that they are the kind of player that's going to bluff draws uh busted draws then that would lean us towards calling and just holding tight and calling every river bet right um if we think that they're the player uh, kind of player who's not going to bluff draws but is going to call uh is going to get sticky with draws on the turn and some second best hands that's an argument for putting it back on them on the turn i think um louis hillman comes in here and says with sbr on the river being 0.7 i'm just calling turn as villain's going to be uh likely to be shoving for value with all the kings and lesser one pair hands um and louis says they'll also have to bluff uh misdraws as played and I'm not sure. I'm not sure I'm that confident uh, as Louis is, but it's true that aggressive players are more likely to bluff uh, busted draws than other players. And I think the kind of player that check raises the flop with a spade draw with a heart draw is, you know, going to be the kind of player who would bluff a missed draw on the river. So there's an argument. There's an argument for that for sure. Um, Louis says he's never folding to a river shove heads up even if the front or back door flush gets there and uh, his question is if if we do check if we do call and the villain checks the river uh, what's our bet sizing going to be uh, at that point when you've got a pot size bet and i think if they check the river then they're probably they don't have a lot of hands left in their range that are going to call a pot size bet on the river so I don't think we're going to get a lot of chips in that way. They might, they might check back. They might check like a weak King or something like that and call. Um, they might have a strong King. Yeah. They might that's true. Have king, Queen, King, Jack. Yeah. That's a good point. And, and good call. Um, so I think we can get called by a King with a 70% pot shell. Yep. Um, and I think we can get called by other two pair that are there. Hmm. Yeah, I don't know. Seven, if seven, seven probably will fold, and all of their missed hands will fold. Some people who are even when it's their tournament life, they'll just chicken out on that final bluff. True. Hmm. True. 
Yeah, and so, then when they buy, and then when they just shove river on like a heart or a spade, and you're just there like, oh god, I should have got it in on the turn. <laughs> yeah, I should have got it in on the turn. <laughs> That's what I'm thinking this whole time. We're talking this like, oh, like now this now this bad river card's gonna come off, and I'm not gonna know what to do on the river when they shove. Or and then if they check and we shove, then they just right. fold. Right, and, and like, that well, and that's and we could have won the tournament, you know. And then it's like, ah, I I do feel like we miss the chance sometimes by waiting to the river we missed the chance for some value from a lot of their hands that would have put chips in on the turn um so especially when we think they have a lot of draws in their hand in the games i'm playing in i'm just more inclined to put more chips in on the turn and let them kind of gamble on that draw coming in um because then we kind of get to realize that equity either way we don't get them to choose we don't we don't allow them to choose to get it in when the draw comes in and, and not when it doesn't um, so I, I really like this. There's a response here by uh, Chris Jones, the one and only five by five, which uh, kind of gets at some of the ways that we can think about this a little, because we're all talking about how villain dependent it is. Um, and we're kind of like in, in, in jail here because we're not sure exactly which kind of villain this is. Um, Chris says, part of the question for me is what will hearts do here? Are they more likely to call off a turn shove or bluff rivers when they miss? Uh, which is what we're talking about. Chris says, maybe part of our decision-making is which King-9 offsuit we have. If we have a heart of any kind, they're less likely to have the pair plus flush draw, which would likely be obligated uh, to call a shove. So maybe if we hold a heart, which also blocks their path towards a flush if they hold hearts, we call and try to catch bluffs and then target King-X on our riverbed. But if we don't hold the heart, maybe we go for the shove and hope to get called uh, by hands that just can't find the full, both King X hands and hearts. So that's a really interesting way to kind of take some objective information and allow that to inform our decision-making process when we're kind of tied or tied up on, on how to proceed there. Kim? I really like that. I really like that, like starting to look at what blockers we hold or don't hold. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. And the board was King of Spades um, and Nine of Spades. So we could have the king of hearts or we could have the nine of hearts. If we have a king of hearts, that's obviously a much better blocker towards their heart holdings. Although in a heads up pot like this, blind versus blind, um, they're going to just going to be continuing with all sorts of different ranked hands when it comes to uh, flush draws. So I don't think having the king is as relevant as it would be in, in other situations where they're just not calling with a lot of those other suited hands. Um, I, so I'm, I'm in yeah, favor right. of a, of a click back on the turn to like, uh, 13, 14 mm -hmm. big blinds. Um, I just think that that's, we talk about this a lot and I always say this, they, they still have hope, you know, they still have hope <laughs> yes, 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 <laughs> and yes. as long as they still have hope, we can get more chips from them Yep, yep. and not be afraid of calling if they jam. You know, mm -hmm. as a matter of fact, we we could be inducing that jam, which is what we'd like to be doing right now. So I like a, I don't want a jam here. I think that's just too big, too strong. You're going to just fold out so much of, of his, um, the hands that you're ahead of, that it just doesn't pay off. If you can get him to commit more chips by just getting a a little min click back, like I say, twenty or twelve to thirteen big blind, something like that and get him excited about it. He still has hope and, and see if he can try to jam us off 
our hand. And obviously he can't. So <laughs> I just yeah, gotta live I, like... up, I just gotta live up to my screen name. <laughs> be jamming. Yeah, be jamming. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Um what, what, one of the things I really like about that, Rob, is that it just gives him a series, of, it puts him in a series of bad spots. Like like it's a very small raise. So he has they have to continue with a pretty wide range to it. But it also leaves them with a pretty trivial stack given the uh, pot size on the river, which makes the it gives them like another uncomfortable decision. So anytime you can choose a small sizing that still kind of gives your opponent a bunch of difficult decisions, then that's often a good path to take there. Okay, here's my question, gang. Can we click it back here with a balanced range or are we only actually doing this when we have like two pair plus? And we're trying to achieve this same goal. And I'm not saying we need to be balanced in every spot. Um, maybe we don't. Maybe this isn't one of those where we do anyway. But just academically, are there other are there hands that are not very strong value that we would continue uh, consider clicking back here? Sure. That we called the flop check fly. raise with. Maybe a, a bad check raise. A, a, a flush draw with no showdown value. A bad flush draw. We could have something like. Oh, but then we're probably shoving. Then we're probably shoving to maximize that fold equity, right? When we That's don't true. have, yeah. Yeah. although, but mm-hmm. we're saying, you know, would we then use that as a way to balance this? So I don't mean to discount that. Like they could have, for instance, uh, like the six, eight of spades now has a lot going for it on the king, seven, nine, four, um, Two tone. Are but, you calling? Yeah. Are are you calling a raise on the flop with on six flops? No, probably not. Or yeah. check raising. Yeah. Or yeah, hard, yeah, yeah check raising. Yeah, I was like ten yeah. six of ten six of spades, maybe. Yeah. That like check raises, but that's even like I don't know. It'd be pretty yeah. ambitious. Well, we're talking about what would we have that we could call a check raise, right? Right. We bet, yes. Good point. We we called a check raise on the flop. So what hands could we have that we call the check raise with that are not value like the king nine that we have? What are that the, looks what are like hands a lot of kings, might we do right? Like yeah. what? Are, yeah. What else are we check? What are, what else are we bet calling the flop with? We um, could be doing we, it with a couple of hearts. Yep. Yeah. You know, if we had the ace of hearts, you know, ace of hearts, yep. five of hearts, or something like that. Yep. Yeah, Ace Five of Hearts even has a couple backdoor uh, straight draws in there, so that's yeah. that makes sense. And it's got Ace High showdown value, so that's a good one. Okay, so maybe we could. So I guess I I, I like the click back turn. That's where I'm. That's where I'm coming to with this. Um, given no all the information, click back with no. Fold. Yeah, yeah, never folding. Good game if they have pocket fours. You know, like. Sometimes you just lose. Like sometimes you just make good decisions and and they're at the top of their range. And um, especially on wet boards like this, they have license to make these moves with those semi bluffs and with their very strong hands. And you just don't get to know. You just don't get to know. Barring some kind of physical tell or a timing tell or something like that. One of the things, if if we do that and he, you know, he thinks that we're doing it with some sort of a flush draw. Mm-hmm. or something like that he's more than more likely than to jam back on us with a king yeah with a worse king than ours and yeah. and that is a perfect result right that's a perfect yeah. result 
And not only that, but the kind of player that we're hoping is going to bluff, shove a missed draw on the river, aren't they also going to shove on the turn if we give them this this opportunity? Exactly. Yep. So I think the I think we can still get value from that player by clicking it back on the turn because the same inclination that would make them bluff the river, which we'd hoping they would do, I think they would still. They're the kind of player that would shove that equity now with the draw. And um, that's kind of our mission here is to is to get chips in with the part of their range that we're beating. And that's and that's a lot of the draws here as well. So I do like that. Um, Eric, you had a really good response here. So Eric got into our bonus uh, discussion um, where and and I don't know, should we just tie a bow on this before we get into Eric's uh, position? So I think we've kind of decided that against certain players just calling and planning to call all rivers is is the right play. Although I still think if they check, you're not going to get the bottom chip in um, calling turn. I just don't think that's very likely. Uh, and then against other players, we like the raising the turn or even even shoving. And Kim mentioned maybe even uh, uh, raising the raise, re-raising the flop against certain players with a with a hand as strong as uh, top pair in, in a heads up pot like this. Uh, so what do you think? Is there anything else we should talk about that, uh, Ben or Rob or Eric, before we get into Eric's? Uh, I have one little discussion. rabbit hole to go down. And Chris's post, he mentioned um, if they check back the river uh, target king, uh, top pair. Yeah. Um, is that is that a good place to target? Should we try to get second pair to call or uh, ace high even? Um that's a good question. What size, what size bet would be a good bet if they check on the river? I think the 70% pop bet because it's also going to be all our bluffs that, that missed. Yeah. So just shove it no matter what. Yeah. Yeah, I think if, if I think like second I mean, We pair, have six high. Right. <laughs> we have six high here on the river. We have to shove. Right. Right. And we're going to make most hands except maybe a king fold and that's the way we should be thinking about this right because we want to get called we want to get called by our value hands so let's put ourselves in our bluffing shoes and say well they're never folding a king if we if we shove with six high here so that means that we can target king high with our value hands because they're never folding a king are they maybe folding a nine or maybe they're calling a nine like that second pair then that becomes kind of like your target here. Um, and I don't know if betting a third pot versus shoving two thirds pot makes enough of a difference against that, that part of the range. Um, so I think that's a good thing to be thinking about, Eric. I, I, I like the, probably the full, full bet here. Also, I think other players, especially in the games we're playing in, they don't care that much about saving five big blinds to then go heads up against the person who's got 55 big blinds. They're just, they're not going to be that elastic to the sizing. Yeah, um, they're they're going to just anyway. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So they may as well put those extra five chips in here where they are, where they have so much equity already in this pot. So I think I'd go for the, I'd go for the shove on the river. So the bonus, yeah, that was just, a, t- just a question. I didn't know. I would, I, I, I'm with the trying to get it all in on the turn, but. No, it's a good question because I think a lot of people get lazy about what are we targeting? 
you know, we talk about targeting a lot on the show here because I think it's a really important part of, of value betting and bluffing is having a hand in mind that you expect your opponent to fold or um, call depending on the sizing. That's how you choose your sizing, right? So I think it's a really good thing to be thinking about um, every time you're considering putting chips in the middle. So the bonus discuss discussion is if this were instead at the final table, three or four handed as opposed to heads up, there'd be a big ICM implication. And do we approach this spot differently? Now, in that case, it would really, again, depend who covered who, I think. If we were the bigger stack, I'm definitely shoving turn, might even be shoving flop, um, but definitely shoving turn. Um, and I would be with a ton of range there, with a ton of my range as well, as played this way. Uh, Agreed. If I was, yeah. Yeah, Kim's not Kim's never afraid to get those chips in with uh with the chip lead. That's that's a good way to print some dough, print some print some money. Um what if, what if they covered us? Would that change how we how we played? It might make us less inclined to call any river. You know, maybe now we're going to get into like check and hope mode, but that's probably not how we got to the final table. Like I'm not sure we want to change our our whole game that drastically here. Yeah. I think once it, we're shoving turn, once we get to three or four players, so it's hard to say, like, because we're not really, unless we do call, it's like we're probably getting it in anyways, somewhere on the turn, especially if they have us covered, because then we're going to be shorter. Right. So. Yeah, if we, let's say we're the, let's say we're one of the middle stacks, four-handed, and the small stack is not in this hand but we're up against the big stack so we don't want to bust on this hand because there's a short stack out there um it's a big mistake to go out before the bottom stack right yes so, so then are we passive and... when we're talking icm post flop um we have a thing called downward drift okay and that's uh, when we're post flop downward drift is when Big bets become small bets. Small bets become checks. Raises become calls and calls become folds. So as long as we're taking the aggressive action, we're better off because we can still like the, we still like the buff bluff draws, gut shots, runner runners. We can get lots of folds on the turns and rivers. So when we're looking at value and trying to build a pot without over committing, um, who covers who is is very, very important. So we just have to keep in mind the downward drift. We're not going to make those big bets anymore. Mm. We're going to make smaller bets. We're not going to be raising anymore. We're going to be calling as opposed to raising. So a lot of those dynamics come into play when you're down, when you have an extreme ICM situation. Yep. I love that. You can tell Rob is the book study master because he's been reading along with, uh, Darrow Kearney's uh, ICM book with uh, Barry Carter working on all this stuff furiously behind the scenes. And, you know, Kim's the one who has all her uh, all her ranges perfectly worked out like the technician she is because she knows exactly what stack size to start shoving with and that sort of thing. Um, so it's great. It's great to get this kind of insight. Um, and Ben, you've been uh, you've been playing for a while now. You're a popular Twitch streamer. You're uh, building out this whole reputation in the world of poker, taking the step to come join the uh, the Wrecking Crew here. We're excited to have you on. Before we wrap up the show here a little bit, why don't you just talk a little bit about uh, uh, what you, where, where you like to stream, 
what kind of games you like to play, what got you excited about it. And I know we'll be um, having you on the chats edition of the podcast for your own um, interview with Troy soon. But uh, just a couple a couple words to kind of let Rec Poker audience know a little more about you. Put me right on the spot, why don't you? <laughs> <laughs> Lead us. Um, well, it all started um, back when I won the Blowout Series package. That was way back, I think it was 2019 or this, just around the start of 2020 where Poker that, Stars you, had a bunch of... You put of, out a forum uh, post about yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, it was you? actually a forum post, yeah, that I started. I remember I that. Said, I said, I, could, I want to stream it because, you know, big tournament, $1,000 buy-in. I wanted to have some friends in there and stuff. And I'd already knew about Rec Poker before, so it was just kind of... Of like the perfect situation where i could get you know your guys's take on it and i got to come on the podcast and stuff like that so it just and then since then it's just been me just basically playing you know rec poker basically like recreational just on the weekends um got a little bit more serious about it lately and stuff like that with this with the stream and stuff we're putting in a little bit more effort than what we were before so definitely appreciate any any support and i think becoming um part of the wrecking crew is just a perfect blend for everything you know and just going in that direction so yeah definitely uh feeling welcomed and stuff and yeah it's been really good so far i gotta figure out some more of the technical stuff yet and... <laughs> it's a journey don't get it's me a journey, started on yeah. the technical stuff <laughs> uh but yeah you're feeling you know, great man yeah i remember back in 2020 sometime um we were doing an opa and i was hosting the opa that night and that's the first time i came across ben and actually talked to him and he was he made a pretty deep run in our home game that night and i was very impressed with his thought patterns because basically it was just him and i at the end and it was just him so nobody else was in the chat with us so we could pretty talk pretty frankly about what was going on and as he talked his way through the hands it was like okay this guy could be a twitch guy because hey. this is this is what he's doing he's doing a very good job of it right here that was that was two years ago so I'm really glad to see where you've gone so far, Ben. It's really, really fun to see that. Well, and I'm excited for what the future holds and stuff. I mean, a big goal of mine is to play a, a live tournament. Um, I've never played a live MTT before, <laughs> and I want to pick the right <laughs> spot because I hear Carlos, like I like listen to uh, Andrew and Carlos a lot. <laughs> And they're just like, Carlos is just like shitting on <laughs> live poker, right? And I'm just, yeah, grinding. And I'm, meanwhile, I'm grinding online, trying to build a role so I can, you know, go to Vegas, right? Yeah. <laughs> and, he, and he's like, nah, he's like, play online, just do that. But it is one of my goals just because I've never had that experience before. So yeah, people, people wouldn't believe it, though, when they hear you talk about poker, like you, you really know your stuff. And you've mentioned a couple of times you're still waiting for that to play in that one major tournament, that live uh, MTT. It's just like. How does this this guy know so much about poker? I can't believe yeah. it. Your ceiling is really high, man. Never mind Vegas, Ben. We're gonna do a road trip to playground poker. Oh yeah. there you go. That's right. If we don't if we don't do one out to Halifax, uh get even closer to home for you. So um but yeah, let's well, I might let's... start I might start working on that Halifax angle a little bit because um their poker room is really good and the atmosphere is awesome and stuff like that. And they just, they, it's, it's a really great room and I see potential there possibly. So I'm going to see what I can do. I'm I, the problem is I don't really play a lot and I don't, I'm, you know, I'm not really rolled to play, you know, and a live, right. even one three is pretty, you know, big for me. Right. So to get to play there, I only play every once in a while, you know, if I feel like going and taking a shot and splashing around a little bit. So 
We'll, we'll work I think on you it. Had, we'll see what we can do. <laughs> you had a pretty good result uh, this weekend, if uh, Twitter is any indication. It looked like... Yeah, uh, yeah. Had, that was... Uh, WPT has been uh, WPT has been treating us really well. They've been running their satellites for the uh, the 10K. So that's where I've been... I've been grinding that really hard, trying to get in, trying to get a seat in that. So we got one week left. I'm going to try and, try and nice. get in there. So. Well, yeah. fingers crossed, man. We're all, we're all looking forward to seeing what the future holds. Um. Okay, so Eric Anderson, uh, just to wrap it up, the the conversation here. So the bonus discussion from Taylor was, uh, if this was three or four-handed and there's ICM implications, do we approach the spot differently? And I think, um, Eric, you make a great point here about uh, in an ICM spot, we're more likely to be just kind of checking and calling, giving them the opportunity to make the mistake and trying to get that King 9 uh, to showdown. Um, And you talk about sort of like the, the stack to pot ratio as well. Um, and then I really like the way you break down the equity that our opponent might have with different holdings. Um, Eric, what do you, what tool do you use when you're, cause Eric, if people don't know, Eric posts all sorts of great stuff in the forums and on discord. It's very detailed. Um, he's obviously using poker resources to, to, to get some of this information together. He's got a great grasp of the mathematics of poker. Um, Eric, what what tools do you use when you're putting a post response like this together to help you calculate the different equity for the different hands they can have and that kind of thing? Um, I usually don't use a, a calculator or anything. There's charts um, you can find online. It says if you have eight outs on the flop, it's going to be, you know, a 33% uh, yep. chance of hitting it. Um, that's usually I just look at one of those charts. Um figure out how many outs I have and, and what I, what kind of equity I need and then compare that to the pot odds. Nice. Well, uh, thanks for all your contributions, man. That doesn't take into consideration the equity that you might already have. You might already be ahead. And so it should be your hand versus your opponent's range should be where you should be looking to see what that equity is. What you're figuring out is what the pot odds. So what you need uh, pot odds wise to continue, but and then your outs, that's assuming you're behind. If yeah. you're already ahead, you you've got more equity than you're than you think you have. Yeah, and you always have some equity. Um, yeah, you're right. Yeah. Okay, cool. Well, this has been a really interesting conversation. Maybe that bum Taylor could learn us something uh, if he listens up and yeah. learns how give, to fill out. Give us some more clothes. details. Yeah, give us yeah. some more details next time, Taylor. Come on. <laughs> Taylor, if you're listening, you, we love you. didn't even put in what suits he had. Like, yeah, you know, we didn't like, know. Did he no have the nine of hearts or the king of hearts? Like, like oh, what the hell, man? man? Come on. And reads on his opponent. What is his, you know, <laughs> yeah. what is his opponent? Yeah, timing <laughs> tells. <laughs> All right. Well, this has been a real treat. Um, thank you to Taylor Moss for posting it here. Um, thanks to Kim and Ben and Eric and Rob for going through the hand with me here. Thanks to Mark Rashawn at Website Amp and the Running Aces Hotel Racetrack and Casino. And you, the listeners, we couldn't do it without you. So thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next week.